The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good evening and welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, where, as always, we are here for the purpose of being your public radio resource for the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And as you know, from time to time here on Real Life Real Estate, we do uh, just conversations with X-Factor investors, people who have managed to do the thing that everyone sets out in real estate to do, but have uh, been successful at that, where so many people are not. And we sort of have a free-flowing discussion about everything from life story to philosophy to, uh, you know, important influences on these folks. And Today, we have a fellow who has made a um, a very quick rise into the real estate business, having started in real estate in 2012 and been full-time since just 2013, but has done an enormous amount of acquisition and uh, management since then. His name is Chad Harris. He is in the Dayton, Ohio area, and his primary strategy is just owning rentals through and uh, managing rentals for other people through his company, Arrival Homes. Uh, he also started True Wealth Investor this year to start, try and pass some of that on to other folks. But what's interesting about Chad is that most most people make a really slow transition from... I'm a full-time job and I've got a full-time job and I'm a first-time real estate investor to, well, now I have enough assets that I can become a full-time real estate investor. And Chad did that super quickly. And then through a series of uh, creative finance strategies, also built his portfolio very quickly. He's joining us today from his home in Dayton. Chad, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. All right, thank you, Vina. Glad to be here, <laughs> and and I'm 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 glad to have you here. And in our in our our X Factor shows, we usually start out by having people just kind of describe their background, leading up and leading them into the real estate investing business. Because the the one thing that is true of all of our X Factor investors is that they came from really different backgrounds. It's not like there's there's like one thing that you studied in college or did after college or whatever that that got you to, you know, estate builder full time, real estate investor. 
And your particular story is particularly unusual. So if you could, uh, <laughs> if you could, if you could fill us in on what happened, what happened in the life of Chad up through 2013, that would be awesome. Yeah, gladly. So, I'm, you know, growing up, my parents had rental properties, so I was familiar with real estate. And I went out and worked on rentals. So I was familiar with day-to-day what it took to manage rental property, but I tended to see kind of the negatives or the headaches of rentals. And so once I got out of high school, I went to college, and I wanted to be a teacher. And that was just what I was passionate about. And so I went to Miami University here in Oxford, Ohio, uh, to be an English teacher, and I started teaching English straight out of college. And then eventually, uh, my family moved to Kenya, and we were missionaries in Kenya, and I was teaching community development in the communities in Kenya. And we had a great work, great people that we were working with. And then in 2012, we came back uh, to Ohio and we were reporting to all of our supporters on the work we were doing. And while we were in the midst of that, in December, our son, Bo, our fourth child, was born. And when he was born, he was diagnosed with Down syndrome and had many complications with that and eventually had to have a trach tube and breathing machine, which meant that we couldn't fly and he couldn't live where we were uh, working in Kenya. And so I had to figure out a whole bunch of things very quickly. So our only income was my salary as a missionary. The house we were staying in was provided by one of our supporting churches. The vehicle we were using was provided by a supporter. And so I had a few months to really figure out how to make a living, how to provide for my family, put it all together. And in the process of that, I considered trying to look for a teaching job or moving to try to work for a church. But uh, I had been listening to podcasts about real estate, and I just decided that that's what I was going to do. I wanted my family to be close to my parents in Dayton, and I wanted to provide a great life for them. They had been moving year after year all over the place, and so we just, I didn't know how I was going to get started in real estate, but that's what I decided I was going to do. And so I started telling people I was going to buy real estate, and started buying one house at a time, and in May of 2013, went full-time when my job officially ended. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> And uh, one of the things that you credit with being able to do 50, 50 rental acquisitions pretty quickly, which is, I mean, that, that that's, a, that's a portfolio that takes most people 10 years to build, but you did it using non-bank strategies, if you will, right? It, it was it was Correct. private lenders, it was owner financing, things like that. And you mentioned in your bio that your background in raising money for your missionary efforts was really helpful to you in in 
the process of raising money for your real estate efforts. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Definitely. So when I started raising money for ministry, we had to raise uh, close to a half million dollars for that ministry in Kenya. And when I started, I talked about the needs of the people in Kenya, and I talked about what my wife and I needed to raise for our family to move. And I thought we would raise money very quickly, but we didn't. We struggled to raise that money. And eventually I had a shift in perspective where I realized it wasn't about the needs in Kenya or what I needed for the work. It was about the opportunity I could give a potential donor and the impact their donation would have in Kenya. Mm-hmm. And once I started presenting an opportunity, then I could raise money very quickly. And when I started telling people about real estate, I got a similar response. I heard from many people that they had always wanted to invest in real estate, but they didn't know how. And so I realized I could present them with an opportunity to invest in real estate by being a private lender to me and my business, and I could tell them about the impact it would have on their finances or their investment portfolio by doing that. And so I used that same technique when I started raising money from private lenders, was just presenting them an opportunity to get involved in real estate that they didn't know about and the impact it would have on them. And so that's how we bought our first 25 units or so, mm-hmm. uh, was just with private lenders. And I would I would use one private lender for the purchase, and then I would fix it up and rent it, and then I would refinance it with a different private lender who wanted to uh, lend money long-term and just did it like that with very creative financing through my private lenders. And then eventually I started doing similar strategy with sellers where I would look for seller finance deals and I would present them with an opportunity, a way they could sell their house that they didn't know about and I could present to them the impact or all the benefits they would receive if they would give me financing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it was really with private lenders and sellers, it was just using the the same presentation philosophy that I used to raise money for Kenya. Excellent. Uh, Chad, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to further explore what has allowed you to do so much so quickly relative to like the, the typical career arc of a real estate investor. Listeners, this is a pre-recorded program, so unfortunately we won't be able to take your questions here in the studio today, although you can always send any question that comes to your mind to askbeena at gmail.com, and we will certainly strive to answer it on a future show. We will be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Chad Harris from Dayton, Ohio. I've never heard of Chad Harris. I don't know who this guy is. It's not It's not important that you not have seen him on Facebook. It's important that he has done stuff that a lot of us want to do. He's an X-Factor investor, and he's taken an interesting approach to 
building up a real estate portfolio much, much, much more quickly than other folks have uh, managed, even even really ambitious folks have managed. And we're sort of talking through how he went about doing that, what, what secrets, tips, philosophies, uh, influences he had in that process. So, uh, Chad, um, how long did it take you to buy those first 50 houses that were all not, not bank-financed? Yeah, we reached our first 50 houses. It was right around uh, six years. Okay. For the first fifty, and and so that was that was just just to be clear for listeners who may not have ever bought a rental house, it's not like oh I go out and look for property and I find it the next day and then I buy it the next day and then I put it up for rent the day after that. There's <laughs> there's a whole there's a whole process here to finding the right yeah, deal but... and 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 almost always they then need fairly serious renovation <laughs> before they can be put on the market so uh you know each each rental that you're bringing online might be in a, in and of itself a three or four month project and that's not counting finding and finding and negotiating the price in the first place right so so yeah. roughly 90 year is is actually quite a bit especially for somebody who's who's really despite your early uh exposure to the real estate business through your parents it you were you were new <laughs> you were you were new at the at the whole process when this when this sort of thing started um so what is your favorite kind of property like what's your ideal rental my ideal rental is uh, the one with the tenants taking care of the house and I'm receiving the check. But <laughs> well, that's not what it uh, is when you buy it. <laughs> if you're, if you're... <laughs> that's right. You don't usually receive them that way. Yeah. Um, you know, when when I started, I just I needed cash flow. I and I that was my sole focus, and so I was looking for single families. Um, because they were readily available at that time. And so I wanted single families in a C neighborhood, B minus, something like that, where the price was low compared to the rent. And um, now I tend to target uh, small multifamilies. I really like doubles. And we still uh, look market for doubles in C areas and then, uh, single family homes in B plus A areas is what we target now. Mm-hmm. And that's that's interesting that your your kind of target property has changed because it 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 normally changes for everyone. Like what you what you buy at the beginning is not necessarily what you love five or ten years later. So have you have you kept everything you bought early on, or are you starting to find ways to exchange them into the kind of properties you like better now or is that on is that in your future plans yeah we we have kept almost everything so i just like the concept much better of a you know burr strategy where i'm gonna buy it rehab it rent it uh refinance it and repeat and i get to keep ownership of that property Mm -hmm. I love that model better than 
a flip or I would do comparable work and sell and I would get a larger chunk of money, but I lose ownership. Mm-hmm. So we have used that model and over the years I've sold a couple of properties, but primarily we have held on to everything. And we're just getting into looking into how to roll over some of those lower income properties into better neighborhoods. So well, we haven't done that yet. If you go to if you go to realliferealestate.com and you search for a show by a guy named Scott Ellsworth <laughs> in uh, November, <laughs> November 2020, um, he, he makes a strong argument for 1031 exchanges of properties you that work. I mean, you know, it's not that you don't like them. It's that you like other kinds of properties better and just, you know, taking two of the of the C-level single families that you don't like anymore and trading them into one of the B-level that you do like or, uh, you know, trading them for trading them for the, the, two, the two families that you like better now. Um, let's go back sure. to this. Let's go back to this. Uh, this is what is commonly called the Burr strategy. And if any listener hasn't heard of that, Chad actually said what it means. It's by rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. <laughs> repeat is the last. <laughs> Gotta repeat is the is the last piece of that. You you've got your own little twist in that because uh, most of the folks who talk about that strategy talk about buy with a private lender, do the rehab, the rental, and refinance with a bank, and you're actually refinancing with a private lender which I think might have given some listeners pause because they're used to hearing that private money is at 10 and 12% interest. And I'm guessing that's not what you're paying to these longer term investors who are staying in the deal then until it's paid off. Correct. Yes. So when I started, I didn't have any W-2 income and really wasn't bankable. So, um, I didn't see bank financing as an option, but I was very good from ministry at raising money from private lenders. And so I learned from talking to different private lenders that the opportunity I was presenting to them to get a fixed return on their money and have that secured by real estate, that they were very happy depending on their situation, but some lenders were very happy to to receive 6%, 7%, 8% interest and leave that money in the deal because they're comparing that to other fixed rate uh, investments where they might only get 2 or 3% return. Or 0.2 or 0.3%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, completely true. So... Um, so that's the way I structured it. We would do some amortized payments um, so that the, the loan would pay off over time. And if the lender was using money in a retirement account and they didn't have any use for that money, then I would just do interest-only payments. And so the principal remains the same. Their money from the retirement account stays invested in the deal and they receive the interest. And we have created some other, 
you know, creative methods of payments over the years. But those are the two primary ways that we did it. Excellent. Uh, When we come back from the break, we're going to further explore with Chad exactly how he managed to acquire 50 rentals in six years, never using a bank, and uh, more about just what, what got him where he is today. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today, Chad Harris, who is another in our line of X-Factor investors who I'm, I'm, I'm finding that I'm digging these folks up all over the country. If you live in Akron, Ohio, and you think that you can only do real well in real estate if you live in a hot market like Miami or, or vice versa, you live in Miami and you say, oh, there's no, no deals here. You have to live in Cincinnati or something to be able to do this. You're going to find listening to the X-Factor Investor shows that these folks are from all over the country. They do all kinds of different things. They have different specific strategies about that have allowed them to get where they are. Uh, what we're trying to find in common among these folks is, of course, what what is happening inside of them that has made it possible for them to live their lives I mean, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'd, I'd love to do that, but I don't have the time. Nobody's got the time, people. Like, who, who out in the world is, is like, well, thank God all of my days are completely free so I can focus on real estate. I've got nothing else in my life to do. But there's, there's, there's something about, I don't know, attitude, ambition, um, the way they approach their day and their lives that uh, we try to learn from when we're talking to the X factor investors. So uh, Chad, let me, let me put, let me, let me turn that question to you because you're aware that you've done a lot more than most of the real estate investors, you know, in a much shorter period of time, right? Like this isn't a surprise to you. Well, it's hard for me to say it, but it it does seem that way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you do belong to Greater Dayton Rio, right? So you talk to other real estate investors all the time. Correct. And I'm guessing Correct. I'm guessing a lot of them when you when you tell them your story, they're like, Oh, how did you do that? I've been real estate for fifteen years and I still haven't collected as many rentals as you did in six. Like that you you've got to be like noticing that reaction, if nothing else. So yes. so have you worked out what what it was that kind of made you willing and able to work that hard? Because I'm, I'm guessing it was hard work. It was hard work. Yes, that is for sure. For me, when I started, I had no stability for my family. And I felt like I needed to be the provider. And I felt like there was no failure. There was no second option. I had to succeed. And I I was willing to work long hours and do plenty of uncomfortable things um, to make that success a reality. So I I worked long hours in the early years. I did a lot of the work on the rentals for the rehab and maintenance myself. And in evenings and weekends, I was calling lenders and trying to set up meetings and talking to sellers. I did my own marketing to find leads, but, well, in, in reality, I heard 
many people criticized me that I was working too much, that I worked too many hours, and they didn't realize that every house that I acquired and rented and refinanced was just building on all of the other houses. So in those early years, it was a lot of work and long hours. But now I essentially have my freedom. I can choose what hours I spend on the rentals. So, but there was no shortcut, I don't think. It was just a lot of hard work and a lot of effort. Who criticized you for that? Like what, what kind of people were interfering in your life that way? You know, it was primarily friends and family who really wanted the best for me. They just didn't understand um, the the reason I was making those sacrifices or the reason I was dedicating that much time to it. So they had good intentions. And a couple times I tried to explain why I was doing it and eventually realized that I don't need to convince them or I didn't need to convince them or make them understand. I just had to keep moving forward no matter what criticism I faced or no matter what obstacle I faced, um, no matter what happened, I had to get where I was going. So, I'm glad you did that because in my observation of, you know, prob- probably it's in the, it's definitely in the thousands, maybe the tens of thousands of investors at this point since I've been, you know, hanging around reassociations for 25 years. I've seen this a lot. A lot of people get dead stopped by their friends and family telling them that they shouldn't do it or they can't do it or it's not something that they personally can do, right? Because your friends and family pull out that stuff from your childhood. Remember that time you had the lemonade stand and you were out there for like 10 minutes and then you just gave up and it was just got too hot, you know, like, like... It's it's hard for a lot of people to take the attitude that you did, which is, I don't have to explain it to you. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and not have not have that, um, even if it doesn't take the form of criticism, that feedback really affect them. So my question is, are they convinced now? Now, yes. <laughs> they understand. <laughs> I think many of them wish they did it <laughs> now in hindsight. So. And that's always that's that's always the kind of um, I mean the the real positive outcome is that you're you're supporting your family and that you're you've got lots of time to spend with them, right? You gave up some time to spend with them at, early on, but now you've got lots of time to spend with them and doing other things that you enjoy and kind of picking and choosing when and on what you work, but. There, 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 there's some, there's some personal satisfaction, right or wrong, to when people who didn't want you to do it at the beginning come back and go, "How do I do that too? I wish I'd done that." <laughs> you know, and we have to, we have to, we have to try like not to be overcome with our own pride <laughs> when people, when people come back and say that sort of thing. Um, so your big why. Because uh, all the folks who have 
managed to achieve a lot started out with a why that wasn't I want to be a millionaire. Like a lot of people, that that is their why, right? I want to be a millionaire. I want to buy myself a boat. I want to buy, but that's not a big enough right. why for most people to stick through the hard work part. Your big why was family. Yes. And and you're feeling that it's it's my job to make sure that they are okay, supported, probably have a legacy. That was probably a piece of it too, since you have four kids. Right. Yes. I I felt like they had they had had a many difficult experiences living overseas and moving and being in awkward circumstances or difficult circumstances, and I felt like it was worth it. But when we couldn't do that work anymore, it was time that I provided them the life that I really wanted them to have and that they would have security and that our youngest would get whatever help he needed. And so I was willing to sacrifice whatever I had to do for that. Mm -hmm. And when somebody would criticize me, that really didn't matter. That wasn't in my why. My why wasn't to please everybody or... Uh, make everybody happy. My why was to provide for my family mm-hmm. completely. Yeah, and we all need a big why like that. At least if we're gonna if we're gonna do that early hard work. Because I, I, you know, I'm 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 the same as you. When I first started buying houses, I bought what I could afford, which which mostly was cheap houses in cheap neighborhoods with high mm-hmm. high potential rental income, but also high potential management drama. <laughs> you know. Yep, yep. <laughs> and and if the if the painter didn't show up on Sunday and the Senate was supposed to move on on Monday, I was the painter. No, <laughs> same exact Completely. same same exact stuff. Um and my why was I just didn't want a job at all ever again. I I worked for a major a major uh, Fortune 500 company based here in Cincinnati for like six weeks that was like my dream job that was what I wanted to do all the way through college and it took me six weeks to discover I did not like working for people and Mm. I never wanted to go back to that and I was willing to do whatever I had to do to not go back to that so we we all have different whys but uh, obviously the one that you had was powerful enough to get you through those those early tough times we're going to take one more quick break. When we come back, I want to explore the seller financing part of your business. And I also uh, want to talk to you about the your education process, uh, how, how that came together uh, for you, where you still go to get advice, all of those sorts of things. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Chad Harris, Dayton, Ohio, Arrival Homes is the name of his property management company, about uh, his fairly quick rise to having enough cash flow from rentals that he was able to continue to not have a job and also... um, Live, live the way he wanted to live and have free time and all of those sorts of things. And uh, Chad, you mentioned that there there was a second aspect to how you were buying these first 50 houses that were completely without banks. Aspect one was private lending, which we discussed in some detail earlier. The other side of this is you mentioned that you you learned about seller financing 
and started talking to sellers about them financing the property for you. What does that look like in your typical deal? What what sort of seller financing are you looking for, looking at, negotiating, et cetera? Yeah, I found that when I was talking to sellers or doing marketing and going through those leads, some didn't fit the model that I was using with the private lending where I would buy very cheaply and do a major rehab on the house. And so I've always believed in the saying by Zig Ziglar goes something like, you can have everything in life you want if you'll help enough other people get what they want. And so when I would talk to sellers, I would just try to figure out exactly what they needed and a way I could help them, help them get to the sale. And so I do a lot of, or have done, still do, a lot of lien contracts where I'll pay them over time, and there are many benefits to them to sell the property that way. Um, Usually they don't know those benefits, but we'll also do a subject to purchases if the seller has very little equity or no equity. Um, And, you know, I'll make offers all different ways, but we've done, oh, we've done one lease option, done uh, a lot of creative land contracts with zero percent interest i'm all about coming up with a creative solution so that the seller gets what they want and i get what i want Mm -hmm. and everybody's happy so you actually use multiple strategies depending on what the situation calls for to negotiate these seller finance deals and that brings me around to a really I think it's a misconception myself uh, that creative financing is only for super advanced, super experienced people. No seller is ever going to want to deal with you if it's your very first seller finance deal. You can't, quote, talk people into stuff unless you've been in business for 50 years. I, I, I hear that all the time <laughs> when when I talk to people about creative finance. They're like, oh, yeah, I want to do that someday but, you know, first I have to get enough experience to convince a seller that they should take payments for me for the next 15 years or whatever their their thought is about how that works. So what gave you the confidence to go to that first seller and say, let me take over your payments? For me, I'm, I always believe that I can talk to people and I can... If I spend the time with them, I can figure out what they want, right? And if I can help them get what they want, then everything will work. So when I started making offers, I didn't fully understand subject to, or I didn't really understand a land contract. But I would talk to a seller, and in the discussion, if the discussion worked out that you know, the best thing for you, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, is that I could pay you monthly and pay off your property over time. If they agreed, well, then I would go figure out how to do a land contract. (laughs) Or, you know, the first subject, too, I said, you know, I can help you move to your new house, give you a little bit of money for your equity, and then I'll pay your mortgage until it's paid off. Would that make you happy? They said yes. 
And then I went and figured out how to do a subject too, right? Mm-hmm. I knew that's what it would need to be. Um, but I always just had confidence that I could figure out the technical structure of it. The key was just the discussion with the seller and being able to help them get what they want, mm-hmm. being able to explain it in ordinary terms so that they understand why it's good for them. You know that what you just said would terrify a lot of new investors. That, like the idea, the idea that they would go into a discussion with a seller not really understanding the technical part of it. Like, <laughs> yeah. like they wouldn't go into the discussion because they don't feel like they've got a full understanding of what contracts to fill out and what has to be recorded and what the order of things is. And I think what I just heard you say is you don't, you don't worry about knowing everything. You worry about the relationship with the seller and then just knowing people who know stuff. Completely. Yes. That's a great way to summarize it. (laughs) So let's talk about the, let's talk about the education part of this because I, again, I doubt that you, I doubt that you bought 50 properties in six years with no investment of time or money in education about everything from how to rehab a rental to how to screen tenants to how to ultimately, you know, understand land contracts and so on. How did you, how did you approach your education? Did you do what a lot of people do and just drop 50 grand up front to get a complete education or did you? (laughs) No, there was no 50 grand to drop. That wasn't an option. So I uh, I have done it all. I started reading books and listening to podcasts. And when we were uh, back in the States, I would go to the local Dayton RIA. I'm part of Great- Greater Dayton RIA and go to all those meetings and network with other people. Eventually, I went to different seminars or conferences, and I would buy courses to be able to get that system all in one package so that I could do marketing or do property management or whatever that system could deliver. And so it's really been a collection of everything, Um, books, courses, conferences, networking with other investors. I, I just tend to surround myself with other people and really uh, leverage my relationships. So, the realtor I worked with for a lot of early deals, I'll still call her up and say, hey, do you know about this? What? How can I handle that? Or the title company or my insurance uh, agent. You know, benefit from all of their experience. If I don't understand something, I can always call them and ask them. And I found that everyone is more than willing to share what they know or what their experiences are. Mm-hmm. So. So you found your you found your relationship with other investors and service providers to be a big chunk of your ultimate success here. Completely. Yes. Definitely. Yes, and that's that's why I mean we're so we're so strong here on the program about um, recommending to people that they get with a quality local real estate investors association wherever they are in the whole country. There's one there's one in there's at least one in in every city over about 150,000 people in the entire United States, and uh, sometimes sometimes there's two or three to choose from. And that uh, that relationship building 
just for the purpose sometimes of ha- having to make a quick call and say, you know, anybody who knows how a subject two works <laughs> can can end up being extremely valuable. Yeah, very much. Or, you know, asking an experienced investor, you know, how did you do it? Or, you know, will is, does this deal make sense? And just getting getting the benefit of their experience. There's, there's no value or no price you can put on that network of people. Very, very true. And Chad, I want to I want to thank you for being with us today and sort of sharing your your progress and your general thoughts about how you got there. I think a lot of listeners uh, will find that very valuable, especially if they sort of see themselves as being in the same starting situation as you were when you started. And um, I just I really appreciate you taking the time today, and I'm sure the listeners do too. Gladly, Vina. Thanks for having me. Uh, always willing to share, and uh, it's an encouragement. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Chad. You've been listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. 